Who is this man? We're talking about Jesus and today, the fact that he's always thinking of others. And as we wanna know what he's like and follow him in the model that he sets for us, this is a really good moment for us to think about how we can be like him, always thinking of others. This week has provided a number of 9-11 memories. Yesterday was that 20 year anniversary of terrorism and tragedy that impacted us and the world really virtually. Things haven't been the same since. These 20 years, a lot of things have happened and transpired because of that tragic event. We've been watching some of the memories of that. It brings up so many emotions. One of the lasting memories is the way that our country unified around that terrorist attack. There wasn't anything like it where people actually rushed back to church. Churches were full for weeks after that. Prayer meetings were gathering to ask for God's favor and help and comfort for people that had lost loved ones. There's a lot that we have to remember and to thank God for how we even can come together in the middle of trial, in the middle of tragedy, and find his plan and his purpose. We prayed with passion. We turned to God for comfort and for strength. Neighbors were watching out for each other. We were unified. 20 years later, the atmosphere in our country is much different. We're divided. People are turning on one another. Criticisms are flying in all directions. The place of peace is elusive, it seems, in the day in which we are living. Things have changed a lot in these 20 years. How can we get back to that rally point where when sorrows come and trials come, we come together, we help each other, we find the place of unity? This is a moment for us to return to that spirit of passion. Why? Because this is who Jesus is. He's always thinking about others. In the midst of this discord, I'm comforted by God's word and inspired by the revelation of who Jesus is. John 13 and verse 34, Jesus was with his disciples just before he was finishing his mission on this earth. And he gave them direction when he said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is beautiful. It's amazing what he's calling us to do. I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to pause for just a moment. It's, it's distracting to stay standing. Would you mind just being seated in front of me? I can't keep my concentration. It would be helpful to me and others. People can't see from behind you. If you would just be seated, uh, that would be a blessing and no worries, but thank you for just allowing me to ask for that favor. Thank you for that. Again, we're thinking about others in how Jesus came to set others free. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When Jesus said, we're commanded to love others, he said, do it like I have loved you. So we have a great model to follow. We follow what he's like, we follow what he did, and we have great inspiration through watching him. 
As I have loved you, that's how you are called to love others. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, expounds on this, the Apostle Paul's message to the church. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. What a cool statement. Outdo one another. Let's do what we can to outdo one another in how we show brotherly love. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We're thinking about others. We identify with the hurting, with the needs of those around us, and it brings us together. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's actually very comforting. God's going to handle what needs to be handled. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's trouble in this world. There's evil around. We live in a time that our culture is pressing in with wrong concepts and not following Jesus in faith. If we're not careful, we become one that attacks those who we feel like are against us. And this isn't Jesus' way. Jesus showed us what to do, even when people aren't lining up with the plan, with the purpose that he has. We do good to those that have not done well to us. That's a very different way of living than even the way that comes natural to us. We want to react. We want to respond. Often we do. In the day in which we live, the church has an opportunity to step up to the way of Jesus and not follow in the way of the flesh. We think somehow we're being righteous when we speak in critical ways to the evil around us. We have to be careful where we speak it and who we speak it to and what our object is of our derision because Jesus is calling us and the Apostle Paul's message born of the Holy Spirit to us is not to repay evil with evil, but to do good to those that are in need of the message of his love. Jesus gave us a model of how to love one another. What does he show us? He loves unconditionally. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. The scriptures tell us that truth. He loves us unconditionally. He didn't wait for me to say, oh, I really need to change and I'm going to follow you. And then he starts loving me. I was against him. I wasn't following him. The whole world was in a bad space, not honoring God and Jesus. And Jesus came and died for me and the whole world while we were still sinners. 
He loved me unconditionally. So I'm going to take care of you. I'm not here against you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to help you and to set you free. Jesus loved sacrificially. He suffered for us. He became sin for us, and he died for us. No greater sacrifice is this than that a man laid down his life for his friends. Jesus did that for all of us. He loved us sacrificially. His suffering was a sacrifice that he took on himself so that we could be whole. He became sin for us. My sin, Jesus willingly took on himself and he bore it in himself when he was holy and perfect and he'd done nothing wrong. He allowed the sin of the whole human race to be placed on his soul and spirit and it crushed him until the father had to look away, couldn't fellowship with his son in that moment as he hung on the cross, paying the price for our sins. Sacrificially, Jesus loved us. He said, as I have loved you, love one another. He forgives us all the way to eternity. He forgives us and forgives us and forgives us again. And he's promised us eternal life. When we put our faith in him and our sins are washed by his blood that was shed for us on the cross. And he overcame it all when he rose from the dead. He went to heaven himself where he's preparing a place for you and for me. I know where I'm going. You know where you're going. He is forgiving us all the way to eternity. And he's calling us to do that for others. Forgive one another. Even as he has forgiven you, forgive others. All the way to eternity, we have opportunity galore to walk in the love of Jesus by forgiving the people around us. We are to love like Jesus, unconditionally, sacrificially, and all the way to eternity. There's a chapter in the Bible that is often described as the love chapter of the Bible. You know what that is? Tell me, what's the love chapter of the Bible? 1 Corinthians 13. We know that. It's rehearsed. We know it so well that that's the love chapter of the Bible. We should go there often because we would be fulfilling the command of Jesus. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you so you can love one another. So how do we do that? Let's go to the love chapter and see what that kind of love looks like. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 at verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That's some powerful kind of love right there. Not demanding our own way, thinking of others, being kind, being gracious, not being arrogant, not being irritable, not being resentful, not rejoicing when others do wrong. Rejoicing with the truth, bearing with all things. Love never fails, it never ends. The response of our leaders and our citizens and other world leaders after 9-11, 20 years ago, gives me hope that we can grow again. NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, is a mutual defense alliance 
formed between Western democracies after World War II. In 2001, there were 19 member countries of NATO. Today, there are 30. It's really awesome that over these 20 years, NATO has grown and there are more allies together now than then. In 1949, when President Truman signed the NATO treaty, he said this, men with courage and vision can still determine their own destiny. They can choose slavery or freedom, war or peace. If there is anything certain today, if there is anything inevitable in the future, it is the will of the people of the world for freedom and for peace. He was declaring what people have in their spirit, that we would be a world of freedom and that we would have peace. This is what we strive for. This is what the member nations of NATO agree about. Let's have freedom and peace. Let's support one another in that pursuit. Perhaps the most crucial part of the treaty is Article 5, which reads in part, the parties agree that an armed attack against one or more of them in Europe or North America shall be considered an attack against them all. On September 12, 2001, the other 18 countries of NATO unanimously agreed to invoke Article 5 of this NATO treaty, the only time in history it's ever been done. An attack on our neighbor is an attack on us all. This should always be the protocol, protocol for tragedy. When someone is hurting, we come around, we help, we support, we say, how can I help you? What can I do to bring peace, to bring love? We weep with those who weep, we stand in solidarity. The Secretary General of NATO, Lord Robertson, made this statement at that time. I condemn in the strongest possible terms the senseless attacks which have just been perpetrated against the United States of America. My sympathies go to the American people, the victims, and their families. These barbaric acts constitute intolerable aggression against democracy and underline the need for the international community and the members of the Alliance to unite their forces in fighting the scourge of terrorism. NATO launched Operation Eagle Assist. They sent 830 crew members from 13 member countries to conduct 4,300 hours of flight patrols over United States airspace. For seven months, NATO stood in solidarity because an armed attack on one is considered an attack on us all. There are things I wasn't even aware of that now I'm looking back and reading history and discovering. What a beautiful testimony that 13 member nations of that 19 member NATO sent airmen and planes to actually patrol the airways over our country, over us here in California. I didn't even know that was happening. But for seven months, there was protection granted so that we would have peace. That's the kind of love we have. It is unconditional. It is sacrificial. It walks in forgiveness all the way to eternity. We're saying, when one hurts, we all hurt. What can we do to come together? What a beautiful picture of who we are as a creation of God. When that spirit comes out, we know it's the spirit of Jesus. That's what he would do. That's what he is like. 
NATO also launched Operation Active Endeavor, which patrolled hundreds of thousands of ships in the Mediterranean for more than 15 years in an effort to combat the spread of weapons of mass destruction. 15 years, member nations patrolling the seas to protect and make sure that there was not anything happening that would threaten America or other countries that are in alliance together. And for 20 years, NATO has assisted the United States in providing security in Afghanistan with a goal of preventing terror attacks. More than 1,100 NATO soldiers have given their lives in Afghanistan. 2,460 American soldiers have given their lives for others in this same time frame of these 20 years. To think of how other nations join together with us to do good for others, to sacrifice. Think about that sacrifice. Unconditional love, unconditional sacrifice, willing to give of oneself so that we can help one another have freedom and peace. Think of that kind of unity 20 years ago that persisted over this season of time. Our country came together to help one another in remarkable ways in the aftermath of this terrorism. After the second tower was hit, New York closed nearly all the bridges and tunnels coming into Manhattan. Hundreds of thousands of people trying to leave the city were trapped on the island of Manhattan. The toxic ash was filling the city air combined with the unknown of what could possibly happen next. Nobody knew. Out of nowhere come two airplanes crashing into two buildings. Then no one knew that those buildings would melt down. So many things happening one after another. No one knew there would be a plane flying into the Pentagon. No one knew there was another plane that was en route back to Washington. The idea, no one knows for sure, but it was most likely headed for either the White House or the Capitol building. When those brave souls brought that plane down in a field in Pennsylvania, the United States Coast Guard put out a call over the radio. All available boats, this is the United States Coast Guard. Hundreds of mariners dropped what they were doing and headed for Manhattan. Throughout the day, more than 150 boats, many of them private, that heard on radio this call, some owned by the Coast Guard, some that normally operated as ferries, they rushed to the shoreline of Manhattan where there were now 500,000 people waiting to get out, frightened, not knowing what was happening, had no way to exit that island, and 150 boats were able to move 500,000 people that day to safety, to a place where they could be secure. Unplanned, no preparation made, but people saying, it's not about fame, it's not about money, I'm gonna do this because it's the right thing to do, loving unconditionally, sacrificing willingly so that others could be safe. That's the spirit of Jesus. We see it happening and, and rejoice in it. We should recognize that as that's what God is like and he's in us. 
sometimes we get it, and sometimes we respond, and sometimes we do the right thing, and other times we forget, and we begin to think it's all about us, and we get away from the scriptures, and we get away from the testimony of Jesus and his example, and we start demanding our own way and putting our foot down for all our own rights, and we stop realizing, no, he's called us to love one another as he loved us, and now we begin to press into that in a new and living way. What can I do to serve the people around me? Historians recognize the boats that lifted these people in its significance. 500,000 traumatized people set to safety. St. Paul's Chapel stood directly across the street from the World Trade Center. I didn't know about this till I've now read about it. This church building was built in 1766. George Washington, when he was president, worshiped in that building. His presidency was from 1789 to 1797. That church building had been up for over 20 years when he served as president and he worshiped there in that building. There was concern that that church would have been brought to the ground. A building that old, that close, a hundred yards from where those trade center buildings caved in. When church leaders finally made it to the building, they were stunned. It appeared completely unscathed. They called an engineer to make sure there was no damage that they couldn't see. Engineers could find nothing wrong. Not even one pane of glass had been broken in the building. The church was a mere 100 yards from disaster and somehow a canopy of protection hovered over it and it was spared any harm at all. The church opened its doors to people doing recovery work. It let workers come in, rest, take off their gear, have something to drink. Soon people started bringing food. They brought grills, fired up grills, and started cooking food. They made a volunteer schedule. The church was staffed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so recovery workers would always have a place to go. The recovery workers were there day and night, needed some place to recover. Over the next eight months, more than 3,000 workers made use of the chapel. Massage therapists volunteered their services. Beds were brought in for resting. New Yorkers came every day to change the linens and make the beds. Food and clothes were donated continuously for workers in need. It's all about love. In that moment of trial, what happened? People came together unconditionally loving, sacrificially giving, finding ways to forgive, finding ways to come together and love. That testimony moves me still to this day. This chapel now welcomes more than one million visitors every year. It's such a historic site that now people can go there and remember what miracles happened because of the love that people expressed. There are so many heroes from the events of 9-11. American Airlines Flight 11 attendants Betty Ong and Madeline Amy Sweeney helped identify the hijackers. They contacted the airline from their flight and provided descriptions of what they saw. 
The information they shared would prove useful in identifying the hijackers. The flight attendants stayed on their calls until nearly the moment their plane was deliberately flown into the North Tower of the World Trade Center at 8.46 a.m. Courage, sacrifice, they were heroes. When Michael Benfonte encountered a woman in a wheelchair, Tina Hansen, on the 68th floor of the North Tower, he and a coworker, John Sequera, carried her in a lightweight emergency chair down multiple flights through treacherous conditions. Fortunately, all three safely got out of the building. Heroes, what are they doing? Loving unconditionally, sacrificing everything they have, not knowing what the outcome would be. The Pentagon was the third target of the morning with American Airlines Flight 77 hitting the building at 9.37 a.m. Patricia Horojo, an Army nurse who was then a lieutenant colonel, set up a triage center. She had nothing more than a first aid kit to work with at first, yet her knowledge and experience in burn care, in trauma management, helped her oversee the provision of medical treatment for many that were injured, and there were many lives lost at the Pentagon. She's credited with caring for 75 people that day to nurse them through their trauma. Frank Demartini, a construction manager who worked for the Port Authority. Pablo Ortiz, a Port Authority construction instructor, were both inside the North Tower when it was hit. They survived, but instead of seeking safety, they began to help people trapped on the tower's 88th and 89th floors. Along with some of their coworkers, the two are thought to have saved at least 50 lives by opening stuck elevator doors, clearing offices, directing people to exits, and otherwise providing a lifeline amid dust, flames, and obstructions. When I learn of this and think about what incredible love, unconditional love, sacrificial love, not concerned about themselves, not saying, I've got a right to get out of here, but rather saying, how can I help someone else survive? What can I do to help someone else come to life, to be able to be free? That's love. That's the model that Jesus set for us, and these souls are heroes in our experience. United Airlines Flight 93 was the fourth plane hijacked that morning. At least four passengers, Todd Beamer, Mark Bingham, Tom Burnett, and Jeremy Glick, decided to fight back and try to keep the plane they were on from becoming another destructive missile. These heroic actions kept Flight 93 from reaching its intended target. They gave up their lives. They forced that plane through their battle with the hijackers in the cockpit to crash into a field. They lost their lives, but saved many others. And the record of some of the conversations, even of Todd Beamer, live on today of the selflessness, the unconditional love, the sacrificial love that says, I'm gonna be here for others. What can I do for you? These souls represent the spirit of Jesus. Love that thinks of others first. Oh, that we would practice this kind of love in our lives daily. 
We're 20 years removed from these moments of solidarity, from these moments of let's come together, let's love one another, let's weep with those that weep, let's bear one another's burdens. 20 years removed and now we've become more divided than ever. We have more rhetoric flying in the airwaves at one another, more criticisms, more kind of salacious things that are said of others around us because we think we know better than somebody else and we are taking a different posture than the posture of Jesus. We're taking a different posture than the posture of the scriptures that teach us how to do good to people even when they're not doing good. That teach us how to have unconditional love and sacrificial love. I received a message from my Uncle Marvin a couple days ago. Uncle Marvin is 91 years old and still going strong. He was a missionary in Paraguay where he worked with the Macaw Indian tribe for 12 years before having a first convert to faith. I often think of my uncle in another hero in my mind, taking his family there, finding a tribe that had never been reached with the good news of the gospel. They were stuck in witchcraft and all kinds of trouble, drunken chichi barrel is what they made their alcohol from. My uncle learned the culture, learned who they were and loved on them until all of a sudden after not all of a sudden, after 12 years of labor and perseverance, the two tribal leaders came to faith. Virtually the whole tribe became followers of Jesus. Now, it's an amazing story. Now my uncle is living in Yakima, Washington, where he serves in the county jail with people that have gotten into trouble. He, those that speak Spanish, he helps them through their trials. He just finished reading my book and he sent the most encouraging note. This is what he said to me. I appreciate you being so vulnerable and honest with your very personal experience. In a lot of ways, it reminded me of being a foreign missionary. Only in your case, the village moved to your town and you had the courage to step into it and learn their language and culture. Missionaries experience culture shock. I heard it in your words. I remember a new missionary in Paraguay who came in town to see the doctor for physical issues he was having. After many tests, he checked out okay physically. I suggested he might be suffering from new missionary-itis. All the culture shock of suddenly not being able to communicate and all the stress of the unfamiliar. What you said about love and incarnate brought to mind something that happened at your church the last night we were there with the two Macaw, Andres and Oso, both of whom are with the Lord now. My Uncle Marvin was right here on this stage with the two tribal leaders who first came to faith, telling their story. Andres was speaking, my uncle said, and I was translating. This was our last night and we were to fly to Tacoma the next day and then back to Paraguay. They were exhausted from the two months in the white man's world. As Andres was telling his story about how dark it was in the village and how they had begun to think that they were too bad for God to love them, he suddenly shifted and stated, but we thought if the missionaries could love us the way we are, maybe God could love us. 
He had never said that in any of the previous meetings. It stopped me cold for a second, but I managed to translate and move on. But the truth was powerful. We do incarnate our message and earn the right to speak, to be heard. I appreciate very much your friendship with Bart. I love the dialogue you had with him. This is one of the stories in the book. Strange how sinners were comfortable with Jesus. The elder brother who did everything right could not understand the grace shown to his kid brother. Bless you as you courageously explore and respond to God's whispers. I admire your courage, love, Uncle Marv. When I read that message on an email two days ago, it choked me, moved me. And I can't get away from some of the insights that he shared from those two Macaw tribal leaders who said, when we realized that the missionaries loved us the way we are, we thought maybe God could love us too. We live in a world where we are missionaries. We need to understand our culture. There are people in the church that keep thinking if we try to understand the culture that we're allowing the culture to affect us, not so. We need to understand our culture so that we can love the people who have yet to know Jesus. We need to learn how to spend 12 years with one soul so that as we love on them and love on them, when they aren't thinking right, when they're not living right, when it seems like they're opposed to us, that we keep loving them anyway until somehow they realize maybe God could love me too. We have an opportunity 20 years removed from 9-11 to return to the love of brotherhood, to the love of others. We have an opportunity to reverse the criticism and the spirit of division that exists. And instead of the church taking such a position of saying, I've got my rights, I'm holding my ground. You can't take away my rights. We're failing to realize this is not what this is about. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. How did he love me unconditionally? When I was a mess, he said, I'm here for you. When I couldn't help myself, he said, I'll help you, I'll sacrifice for you. Today, we, the people of faith, have an opportunity to stop cursing the darkness and the people who live in darkness and start loving them like never before. We have an opportunity to go into this culture that we have around us and love souls, love people, show them how much Jesus cares about them. So one day they might say, man, maybe God loves me. If those people can love me the way I am, maybe God can love me too. We need to stop having people here in the church, berate them and criticize them and call them all kinds of names and try to hold our ground and build a fortress around us that says, don't touch me. Don't take away my rights. What rights do I have? I have the right to love. I have the right to forgive. I have the right to sacrifice. I have the right to follow Jesus wherever he will lead me. And today I say, I want to love more. I want to give more. I want to sacrifice more. I want to serve more. I want to say I love you. I want to say Jesus loves you too. I'm not here against you. I'm here for you. And Jesus is here to set this whole world free. Let it be. Let it be.
Lord Jesus, we ask you to help us find the revelation of the Spirit today, of your Word. Let the Word be life to us and in us. May your Holy Spirit reveal truth. We have a hard time sometimes understanding what truth is. You're the truth giver. You are the truth itself. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Reveal your truth to us by your Spirit. Help us to embrace you and your living way. Thank you for it. If you need grace to cover you today, pray this prayer. Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for sacrificing for me. I want to receive forgiveness from here all the way to eternity. Thank you that your love lasts through the ups and downs, through my failures. You're there to forgive me, to love me. You've sacrificed for me. Thank you for that. I receive your love and your grace into my heart, and I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.